0: This is Larie Daniel Favors, and welcome to the hub. though some of you are meeting for the first time, but, you know, whatever. Uh, she is Talia Young. She is the president and CEO of Newark Symphony Hall. And during her tenure as interim CEO, she has supervised the restoration of this storied, magnificent institution, going to be celebrating its 100th anniversary in 2025. Uh, she's here to talk with us about that and her efforts to position the venue as a community development corporation, uh, a, non- a for-profit venue, and a non-profit arts institution. She is a native of Teaneck, New Georgia and she has credited uh, the Newark Symphony Hall with fueling her love for the arts from an early age, bringing more than 15 years of professional experience in government affairs, economic development, and entrepreneurship to the position of CEO. She is a really dope sister, and uh, I'm just glad that she is able to join us today. President Talia Young, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being with us today.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love that interview. I need to like
0: Capture that, recording and make sure I, I everybody it. <laughs> it. I, I get. Ex- I read people's bios ahead of time. I'm like, they're dope! They're doing extra amazing things. And we actually, because I am one of the members of the Friends of Newark Symphony Hall, I've had a chance to see the impact that you and your team are making up close and personal. I mean, I think you're doing amazing stuff, and I know that the, there is more to come. But for people who are hearing the name Newark Symphony Hall for the first time, and then hear me say it's going to be 100 years old in 2025, Thinking about the history that this institution has covered, talk to us about its origin story. Where, how was it birthed, and and who was behind its its efforts to make this now ninety eight, I guess, year old institution as as magnificent as it has been?
1: So uh, ninety eight years ago, our building was erected by an independent organization. Um, Historic Salam Temple is the actual organization Mm. and the original name of the building. Um, We are on presently the historic federal and state registry. So we are in the process of erecting, restoring, bringing life to um, a 98-year-old building who had its first concert on September 8th. Of um, ninety eight years ago, wow. so what this two hundred thousand square foot facility was was a community center, but specifically for Shriners um, and kind of an extension from Masons, and they had you know their uses for it. That at the time of kind of a recession in the market. It was sold off to an independent um, investor. They held it for about 10 years. And then that is when the municipality, the city of Newark took control of the building. And now we, Newark Performing Arts Corporation, an independent nonprofit, runs Newark Symphony Hall. Mm.
0: So there's lots of connections there, but, you know, this audience is pretty adept at following all of those steps. And so uh, there's a blend here of there's the artistic mm-hmm. component to it. There's the actual infrastructure, the physical infrastructure, the the economic sustainability. You don't get to be 98 years old without having some economic uh, gravitas, I guess, if you will. So when we're thinking about who this institution has served over the years, we know that cities change the graphics change who have been the primary uh, attendees at the Newark Symphony Hall Give us some sense as to the, the the events that have taken place there some of the historic acts that have have passed through those spaces. Uh, how has this this entity really shown up for a community?
1: So our organization is over 40 years old and we have to think of Newark Symphony Hall as Newark's first stage. So before Prudential wow. Arena before NJ Um, it was Newark Symphony Hall and the genres of performers and artistries that happen here, they're countless, right? And it's the change of 98 years of culture and genres and influence of jazz and classical music and poetry and different forms of dance and artist expression happen here, uh, parallel to being a community institution. Mm. So when you think of where your first big band was happening in the dancing of big bands. You think of your jazz structure. um, You think of what Newark's Symphony Hall was. Now, what we are, we are an anchor institution in the Lincoln Park um, Arts District. Right. And we're on the southern tip of Newark's arts and educational district. Hmm. So we're one of the cornerstone anchor arts institutions in the city and the actual largest black arts institution within the state. So what our history unfolds, it's it's numerous. And what we've done actually to honor that recently was put up a one hundred and fifteen foot long mural acknowledging the history of Newark Symphony Hall. We call it Black Newark. Hmm. So what we did is um, highlighted the performers who performed here in different genres to, you know, 50th Hip Hop, Queen Latifah is on our stage. And then Sell Your Cruise, the Hispanic influence okay. that was here on our stage to Woody Shaw, you know, a, a jazz pioneer, a Mary Baraka, a poet, New Jersey's Poet Laureate, um, and clearly the mayor's, uh, Mayor Ratshawr. Jay Baraka's father. Yeah. Um, then we have Sarah Vaughn, who is our namesake of our concert hall. And also names that you don't hear often, such as um, Henry Lewis. Mm. This is amazing, the story of him. You would appreciate this. Henry Lewis was the first Black man, individual, to run a uh, symphony orchestra in this Ooh. country. Then he happened to be New Jersey's symphony orchestra director doubled it in size and he was a pioneer of taking classical music and bringing it to urban settings mm. who happened to be minority. So that is history. That's impactful and we put that on our wall to make sure while we go through a restoration process, we don't forget about the history of who came before us and that's gave right. us the foundation to exist.
0: That's right. Well, one of the challenges with restoring these institutions is just the the need to pull together so many different elements of the community. I remember I think it's the slave theater, yeah, in, in Bedford-Stuyvesant um, where my dad was born and it was this amazing institution that per- performance, uh, just a beautiful beautiful theater and ultimately, you know, the, the owners, proprietors, you, you know how these things happen. We get mm-hmm. old, uh, dementia may set in or other afflictions may set in. Our The network that we had, you know, thir- when we were in our 30s and 40s isn't necessarily there when we we're in our 70s and 80s and easily able to be taken advantage of and, and, and the upkeep and the Maintenance of these buildings is enormous, particularly. She's nodding her head vigorously. Particularly when it is a, a a an institution that is serving our community. Talk with us about some of the difficulties of that, because the Slave Theater didn't make it through. And when uh, my one of my sorors, uh, Vivian Carter, was like, "Come on, young ladies, we need support at the New York Symphony Hall." And the first time I went there, um, it was a, a poetry event. Beautiful event. Uh, Mayor Baraka was there. A number of of phenomenal artists came. But they weren't just Newark artists. They had come from all over the tri-state area. Beautiful space. And it brought me back to the Slave Theater. And I thought, man, this feels like... I wish we'd have had a Friends of the Slave Theater the way that there is a Friends of Newark Symphony Hall. Talk with us about some of the challenges that you have facing, not just under your leadership, but prior to you even coming on because it is no easy feat. And we're seeing a lot of legacy organizations, black organizations sort of go through this life cycle of ri- you know, birthing, rising, serving the people. And then we never really talk about what happens in the decline and how we can make sure that that decline doesn't result in death, but instead results in an opportunity for renaissance and rebirth give us a sense as to some of the things that people in your position grapple with when you are coming into community that is traditionally underserved you know doesn't have its Mm -hmm, needs met mm -hmm, already and trying mm -hmm. to do what you can to make sure that these institutions don't just survive but but actually can
1: thrive i mean you're hitting it right there Mm -hmm. like you're hitting it on it's it's unfortunate in urban communities across the country Um, that the institutions that were our movie theaters, our play centers of theater and performance, our larger dance school institutions um, are on a turn to closing their doors, right? The business structure of that business, of the culture of investing in that business Mm. is declining and changing, right? Like entertainment world and other industries change and they have their own life cycles. So the fun, exciting, um, interesting component of what's happening in Newark across the board is that arts institutions are being invested in mm. right and this is not just from a municipal level but this is also under the advisement of the go- governor Murphy um through three, three years consecutively we've had a line item budget Um, specifically for the restoration of our building. So that is key, right? Mm -hmm. We have multiple levels of investment that's happening. What we're doing as an organization is really looking at our business practice and our model, right? Being friends of Newark Symphony Hall and really understanding the power of membership, the power of um, investments and not just from a nonprofit, but for family funds, individuals, levels of membership and making sure that that is a stable, source mm. to help um, drive our bottom line. Um, so I think that's a component. I think also looking at the model of using every inch of our building differently and operating and optimizing the use of it is important and crucial. So one, we restored Terrace Ballroom, which was 15,000 square feet of space. Mm. And we're looking at it as our program, how we book programming, how it is constantly a source for the community to use as programming. Yeah. So and we're doing that with all every floor of our building. So it's looking at the business model. And I think also a component that you spoke about in the introduction is we are a nonprofit, right? And our ability to make money is to book and do productions. But because we're such a large anchor institution, we're looking at how And what we do as the restoration and development impacts the community around us, right? Mm -hmm. And thinking about what is around us, the residents, the demographic, the industry. We are um, anchoring the largest cluster of senior living, senior housing in the city. Right. So what does that look like for food quality? What is that entertainment, that access to culture and activities? What does that look like? And at the same time, we're looking at that Newark is a college town. And how do we get these universities on the hill to come down and and, and patronize us and teach this next generation on how you value and invest in art? Mm. Right. And the access of art and the principles of that and how it communicates and develops a city. So it's multidimensional. Um, And really looking at what you need for a strategic business model and how do you apply that while you restore and develop and look at yourself as an anchor institution and not just Pigeon yourself as just theater, just an educational, just a programming or rental space. Mm. It's you, you have to look at it multidimensional. Wow.
0: And and there's also this component. This is something that because when I'm not on these airwaves, I, I run a, a, a nonprofit organization. We're the Center for Law and Social Justice at McGover's College. And one of the things that I'm realizing that I went from being a lawyer and an advocate to now I'm an administrator. That's a leap, sis. That's a leap, and I, I'm running into all these black women eds and newly appointed this, and I'm like, ooh, we need a support club. Like, we need a support group because it's it's hard, and and one of the components that we have to balance is uh, expectation of community. And capacity for community. I was at an event recently, and I was sitting listening to two black mayors talking, and one of them said that being a black mayor is equates to managing white fears and balancing black community lack of understanding about what a mayor actually does. Because we were excluded from some from civic, so we we have all these plans or, or thoughts about what a black mayor can do, and then we're like, "You ain't did, but we thought you could do." It's like the mayor don't do that. There is mm-hmm. a oftentimes a, a mismatch between community expectations and capacity, right? There's often a mismatch between community need and what we're seeing in terms of community investment. Talk with us about navigating a space where philanthropically, yes, we've got the grants, yes, we've got the big institutions, but the the small donors as well, the community donor capacity. Talk with us about how organizations like yours can expand that, can really root the, the services that we provide to community to in a way such that the community wants to then support it, not just by attending, but also by... Enrolling, I want people to not just come to my events. I want them to be a partner with me fiscally. I want them to, to do those monthly donations. I want them to sign because it's going to require that the philanthropic dollars simply do not flow the way they always do. They, they also have life cycles, if you will. Uh, talk with us a bit about the role of black philanthropy, both from, yeah, the billionaires, but also just from everyday people and how, uh, I don't know if you, from in the in the Christian tradition, there's a story about the woman who was very poor. She only had like two pennies and she gave her two pennies mm-hmm. and those two pennies made all the difference because it came from her heart Uh, talk with us about the role of community support on the ground level
1: i think one we have to um make sure we remind ourselves that we are givers Mm, right that's right we tied in the church every week Mm. right every month and there is a culture of that so sometimes the the power of the words we use and making sure we understand that we tied you know you pay your bills you listen to pandora right? Mm. You you have Spotify accounts, right? So you're already investing in arts and culture, right? It's about where you're directing that focus and the value of what that focus is. Um, And I think bringing that access to them directly and engaging them at their points. Um, Having the different levels of sponsorship and membership has also been something that we've just recently launched and kind of bringing and communicating that. I think that also the key is giving these um, donors that point of value. So you are a friend, you're an advocate. This is your platform to use. This is your home and this is your space. And then you have access to all of this. So Mm. having that, um, what it called, what is it called? A value proposition um, is also key for um, sponsorships. But I think when it comes to directing a nonprofit and the advocacy is really having the social impact matrix down and understanding the story that you're telling, Mm. right? Because if you look at corporations um, and they're changing or evolving uh, value to their investments or their social impact giving, um, they're about, who and how it connects to their core values, right? And if their core values is building wealth, access to food technology, you have to also create your programming and how you're telling the story and how you're gathering this data to match with theirs, right? right. So if you're not from the onset of creating programs that are able to collect the data or able to bring um, these two communities together Mm. for them to have access to it, you're not giving them a value proposition either, Mm. right? So we're very um, intentional about collecting data, who we're serving, how we're serving, and then also bringing more programs that connect to their their values, right? And it could still serve us culturally, right? It still can bring us access to that technology, but... Like, for example, being the food desert that we are, Mm. we are already organizing. We have one small activation of it. But for this coming summer, we're going to have a summer harvest night market. Right. So Mm. the summer harvest is food access, working with the food pantries, working with the community gardens, having fresh food, working with Barnabas, who's giving us free donations uh, weekly to give out to this community, the seniors and local residents. Mm. But then while they're there, maybe having health classes, and then the night market turns into music, um, local artisans, small businesses, right, that were activating the district. So we can still integrate the culture in it. But let's let's um cure provide a resource or a solution to the issue Mm. that surrounds your building and then that leverage is where you're going to be able to connect with the foundations and then also connect with the community they say like listen they're valuing us they're activating us they're providing something interesting oh and we're benefiting the community Mm. so it's that value proposition always
0: I think if we can get more of of folks who are in leadership to recognize that and and engage in in the work in that way, then we'll see, because we've had folks come on. We had one of the founders of Black Philanthropy Month come on, and she talked about the fact that dollar for dollar, Black people in this country, where we are like at the bottom of many barrels, we give more, a higher percentage of our income than any other group of people. And that's here, but it's also internationally as well. We recognize- Especially women too come on, sis. Yes, let's genderfy it when it needs to be. Um, And and that just makes sense in terms of recognizing that we come from community uh, we have a communal uh, group ethos that sort of drives within us and it is sort of very intergenerational and, and something that I believe is ancestral so it makes sense and I just think mm-hmm. as we as we get better at doing what you just outlined we'll also be in a position where um, community will respond and and we yeah. can, I was going to say community can come to the rescue but really it's us rescuing each other, right? It, it's us pouring into community, community pouring into the institution and, and creating space for that reciprocity to continue mm-hmm. the, the further and the sustainability of both agree what is i believe that this is a 501c3 institution is it not
1: correct okay yeah, 501c3 yeah
0: so that means yeah. people yeah. listening who are interested in preserving arts and activism could donate to this institution and help support 100 every okay. day Okay.
1: 40, 24 hours 48 hours a day really. <laughs>
0: Uh, every time someone comes on who is coming from the nonprofit space, I like to be clear about that. Like this is an institution that can receive support that needs your support. So if people are interested uh, in in helping to make sure that New York Symphony Hall does not come anywhere close to going the way of the Slave Theater uh, in bed what's the best way for them to reach out for folks who are, are there virtual opportunities for them to engage in, with the art itself? Uh, what's just the best way for them to continue establishing further connections with this institution?
1: So first, leading all roads to newarksymphonyhall.org, where you can sign up for our newsletter, know what's programs, purchase your tickets, but also become a member. Mm. Um, the culture of membership, the culture of really activating this space um, and attending the programs or the events that we have is critical, you know, to to us. And then also being just kept involved. So everything leads to Newark. Anthony org And, um, uh, I think, you know, really valuing who we are and what we are. And I'm going to also go back to something that you said. I am 100% unapologetically Black every single day. Come on. And I love it. Yes. I'm not, um, I've been in corporations that Mm. said, and I'm like, nah, that don't work for me. Mm. So I left, right? (laughs) I've worked for politicians that were okay with it when it was okay for them to be okay with it, right? right? And I think what we're doing here is, you know, um, placing artists, in a place where they can, you know, be free and, you know, mm. and and pursue their artistry and develop their uh, administrative skills, mm. but being exactly who they are and producing programs and also allowing other programs to be produced here, yeah. um, unapologetically. Yeah. And I think it's an amazing, beautiful thing that uh, we're making, and ensuring. And it's not just it's black and brown. It's you know all cultures. You know we have a huge uh, Filipino presence and programming here. Mm. Um, we had a, we have a uh, what is it? Duwali, duwali,
0: du- duwali. Yes, yes. Festival of Lights. Huge, yeah. yeah, like
1: you know we're we're not close mining and said you know you got to be black. The only reason to be here, you got no. It's just being. Understanding who you are, accepting who you are, providing a space for you to be who you are, mm. and being accepted, and understanding that there's other people who also have value to their cultures and should have investments in their cultures. Isn't well. it
0: beautiful how when you can be unapologetically rooted in who you are, that you you can naturally create room for other people because and there's, you shine, there's abundance.
1: you shine, you shine, you thrive because yes. you are. You're in your skin and you're presenting your most authentic self, mm. and. I I think that's the biggest blessing um, that I have right now and to make sure we continue a space for other people to receive that blessing as well.
0: Well, I say an amen to that. She is President Talia Young, uh, President and CEO of Newark Symphony mm-hmm. Hall, and uh, we are excited about what's going to be coming out of this space. Newark to me feels a lot like Pittsburgh in many ways. Uh, Black Newark and Black Pittsburgh have a lot of of connection and mm-hmm. in history. Uh, and I love Pittsburgh, and I love I do.
1: Newark. <laughs> so, I do. The culture is popping yes. there. You know, I didn't know you were like the number one philanthropic city in the country. Wow. More money donations go to Pittsburgh through foundations than any place else in the country. Mm. Pretty amazing.
0: Okay. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Thank you so much for being with us. Newark learn more about the organization. Let's preserve these institutions and I'll just so you know I will not be at the next meeting for the friends of Newark Symphony Hall because I got some stuff happening (laughs) that evening but I will be I'm going to try to log in via Zoom.
1: This makes it up. You made it it up already. Thank you. You All right. All right. Shoot. (laughs)
0: Let the others know. Let Mr. Bundy know I said hello. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much for being with us, Talia. We appreciate you.